arch. And somewhere about there, our minds go into wheel slip, don't they? Trying to make sense of it. Uh, now, the trouble with... Okay, we'd better get rid of that, otherwise we'll, they won't think about me. Um, <laughs> the trouble with people is... Well, I expect we can all finish that in a different way, can't we? Really? Um, but one of the principal troubles with people when it comes to understanding God is that we are little finite creatures bound by time. So we can only hold one thought, see things in one dimension at a time, which is why we had the difficulty between having two different things sort of merging. Um, and so if we can't even understand more than one thing at a time, how can we possibly begin to understand anything much about eternity? I mean, we hear about Big Bang and theories of cosmology, and we can just about take it in that it took billions, the scientists tell us, billions and billions of years passing by for the world to take the shape it was. And we start to wonder, um, yeah, well, all right, I can get the idea of an awfully long time, but what was there before that? Well, how can anything not have had a beginning? But if there was a beginning, well, what was there before that? And before that? And so we know that eternity must exist, but we can't get our minds around it. And then we flatter ourselves that we're in a position to understand God, when by definition he is infinite. Well, with a humanity like that, it's not surprising that some people make very heavy weather of the Holy Trinity. How can God be at the same time just one and three? It's not possible. It stands to reason. Well, maybe so, but we've already seen that mere human reason can never be up to the task. We're going to need something a bit more profound than earthbound logic to grasp the essence of the divine. Still, so, we can explore an analogies and see how they might help us. How about cricket? That's pretty incomprehensible to many people. Let, let's have a, the next slide. Okay. Now, many people will say, you know, I, I cannot work out what on earth's going on. The bowler tries to hit, and the batsman tries to protect his wicket. And at each end, there is one wicket, let's have the next one, consisting of three stumps. Now, suppose we had living stumps, and for this I could do with three children, please. <laughs> one, two, three. Right, now you stand here, and you stand there, and put your shoulder hands on your shoulders like that, and you do the same there. Okay, now if I come and bowl a very large ball at you, um, actually it doesn't really work for the Holy Trinity, does it? Because the trouble is, uh, although this one is in connection with both of these, these two are not in connection with each other directly, so we better form you into a triangle. Okay, so now wherever you look, you're sort of encounter one, but of course they're always continually spinning round and round. So you're always looking at a different. Does that help you with understanding God? <laughs> All right, thank you very much. <laughs> right, let's try another explanation. What is the chemical formula for the liquid that we call? Water. H2O, right? Okay. Now, suppose I were able to take that water and to 
freeze it into a solid, <coughs> and it's ice. What is the chemical formula for that? Ah. And suppose I were, this isn't going to work so well, I think. Um, suppose I were to boil it up, and out comes steam, which you probably can't see. That's because there isn't any. You did see some steam, really. Um, and so that's a gas. What's that? H2O. H2O. So we've got one substance, H2O, and it comes in three different forms. Yep, are we getting there? No? One essential nature in three forms, QED, as my old maths master teacher used to say. Ah, says our objector, and there's always one, isn't there? Yeah, well, I might possibly manage to accept that God, if there is one, can take three different forms one after the other. But you Christians aren't saying that God is first one, the Father, and then transforms into the Son, and then transforms into the Holy Spirit. You claim that he's all three, all the time, and yet the same one. And that's not possible. To which the answer is no. No, it's not possible to you, or to me, or to any mere human. But we saw at the beginning the problem with time. God lives outside the constraints of time. He inhabits eternity. He can be simultaneously in three different forms. Well, all right, if you're still not convinced, never mind. It can only be a rough approximation of the truth that's grasped, not by human attempts to climb a ladder up to heaven, but by God sending down the scoop of divine revelation. Let me try running a different image past you. Let's have the next slide. All <laughs> <laughs> oh, the girls go, ah. <laughs> Imagine identical triplets who have perfect synchronicity of thinking and feeling all the time, such that whatever one thinks or feels is felt by the other two. They are always perfectly in not these particular girls, as far as I know, but they are always perfectly in agreement and they know what each other are up to. But one tends to stay at home and ponder on brilliant concepts, and the second goes out and puts those projects into action, and the third spends all day teaching other people to take advantage of the projects so made and apply them in their own lives. They share a common mind, a common vision, a common purpose. But they are one in essence, but three distinct persons. Let's have the next slide. Now, this is the most famous icon in the world of the Holy Trinity, painted by Andrei Rublev in the 15th century. And it shows God the Father on the left with the heavenly palace. They're permanently young because they're always new, always fresh. So God the Father on the left with the heavenly palace behind him. And Jesus in the centre with the tree of life behind him. And he is looking to the Father. And his two fingers on the table and the fact his double uh, coat uh, are indicating his two natures, human and divine. And the Holy Spirit is on the, the right. And behind him is the hill of difficulty which we humans have to climb in life. And he is looking down to where we, the viewers... Now, you and I are invited in to this feast because but it's all geared so that we come in down here and we are invited to the table of the Lord and the Holy Spirit looks down to where we are coming in but we come in in humility we are in a lower place and that represents the narrow way by which you come into the Godhead and this is the community we are invited to the heavenly feast we'll leave that up shall we 
The mistake that we keep making, and the reason we get difficulty, is that we keep thinking God is like us. But in Isaiah 55, he tells us, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We try to make God in our image, and it never works. Instead of that, we should be expecting God to be other, to be immeasurably bigger than we are. If we know that we ourselves are limited to a mono-existence, we ought to expect God to be at least stereo, and if our imagination can stretch so far, surround sound. And when we accept, as we heard in our Old Testament reading, God said, let us make man in our image, then things begin to fall into place. God addresses himself in the plural rather than the singular. He isn't limited to one form of expression. Indeed, he isn't just surround sound. He is multimedia. He transcends the confines of space and time. How should it be otherwise? Our God's too small if we try to understand him in any terms other than infinite love and infinite truth. The heaven of heavens cannot contain him, the Bible tells us. And the only reduction that is allowable is God's voluntary self-emptying to fit inside the limits of our little finite understandings. So Philippians 2 tells us, Christ Jesus, being in the form of God, emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness. And this is the big mistake which Muslims make. They honestly think they are protecting the honour of God by calling it blasphemy to say that he could ever become man. And that's limiting God to one form of existence. He's, he's only allowed to be up there being divine. When in truth, he totally transcends all human categories and mere mathematics. He is so great that he can humble himself. And that humility simply becomes part of his transcendent greatness. Instead of Christians being embarrassed by the doctrine of the Holy Trinity, we should be gloriously celebrating it continually. It's wonderful. It's awe-inspiring. Nothing demonstrates better both the otherness of God and the immediacy of God. He is at once beyond all knowing and imagination, and he is intimately connected with the smallest and least impressive of his human children. The great Lord God Pantocrator, creator of the universe, enthroned above the cherubim in glory and majesty. And the suffering servant, suffering, surrendering himself into the hands of sinful men, scorned, ill-treated, that we might scourge and abuse him and finally kill him. Except that, of course, it isn't finally. Hebrews 9 verse 14, Christ, through the eternal spirit, offered himself unblemished to God. Romans 8, 11, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. The spirit of the Father, the spirit of Jesus, the third person of the divine Holy Trinity chooses to live in you and me. God himself, God Almighty, God the three-in-one dwells in the meanest, poorest, most inadequate little Christian Tripping, stumbling, messing things up, letting him down, betraying him by our thousand petty selfishnesses and impurities and dishonesties. And yes, that, that is a blasphemy, isn't it? It's unthinkable. But it's God himself who has chosen to live in this dunghill and transform it from the inside. 
It's God himself who, before time was, conceived the great plan of salvation by which he would restore all things to himself. It's God himself, the pure and sinless one, who for our sakes became sin, says 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's God himself who dwells within us, testifying with our spirit that we are God's children, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, to the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, and produces his fruit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, the character of Jesus. So my brothers and sisters, 1 Corinthians 3.16 tells us, you yourselves are God's temple. The Holy Spirit is continually flowing between Father and Son and pouring himself through each one of us so that we too are brought into that divine unity, swept up into God himself for all eternity. Christian, what a glorious destiny you have. What a sublime inheritance. What a precious, holy, lovely being you are. So make the most of it. Let's pray. Lord God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit, how wonderful you are, how sublime and how gracious. Nothing is as large as you and yet you are concerned with the smallest detail of our lives. You are everywhere and everything. You are all in all. And Lord, you reach into us and fill us and make us your own. Lord, we are overwhelmed with gratitude. Have your way in us. Don't brook any resistance on our part. (coughs) Sweep us up in the tide of your love, we pray. Thank you, Lord. Amen.